Chapter 10 Summary He didn't feel calm. There was something ugly and destructive curling through his guts. Part grief, part horror, and all fury. Warnings There is no on-screen non-con, but this chapter deals with the direct aftermath, so there is mentions of it verbally, and quite bluntly, and it is thought about a fair bit from viewpoint characters. There is also observation and treatment of associated injuries, and some victim-blamey thoughts, not verbalized. I think that's everything, but if you spot something else I should warn for, let me know. More detailed, slightly spoilery warnings in the end notes. Please read them first if you have any doubts regarding injuries and non-con. The warning end notes can be found at 4345 in the audio. Sokka hadn't slept. It had been one of the longest nights of his life. He was so full of misery and anxiety he couldn't even focus enough to practice his katas. He just sat and stared at the door, consumed in a vast ocean of worry. There were three options that could have happened over the course of the night. Putting aside the first possibility, which was rather a lot of wishful thinking, that Zuko had somehow murdered Zhao and was about to launch a rescue. The other prospects were both awful. Either Zuko had kept his word and temper, and had gone to Zhao's quarters to endure whatever the Admiral had planned for him, or he had lost his temper and fought back, which might result in his death or serious injury, and or Sokka being taken to Zhao's rooms instead. He was ashamed at how frightened the last thought made him, especially considering what might be happening to Zuko right now. But Sokka couldn't help the selfish, shameful worry creeping in. What kind of person was he? that half his fear was for himself rather than his friend. He was so sick of feeling helpless and frightened. But on top of that, he was angry about it. Angry about what Zhao might be doing. Angry with himself. With Zuko. With the universe for being a place where this could happen. So he sat and waited, with the fear and fury swirling through his body like a torrent. When he heard the key turn in the lock, the rush of adrenaline was so strong Sokka wretched. Oh, spirits! He had been waiting all night for Zuko to come back, but now that the possibility was here, he was so scared to actually know what had happened, to discover what his own fate might be. He was going to puke up all the bits of fruit and fish he had snacked on before he had realized the situation. Ro came in first, holding the door open for Zuko, who followed more slowly. He looked bruised and dazed, and was wearing a huge red shirt that hung almost to his bare knees. The sleeves were so long they completely covered his hands, and the neckline hung open halfway down his sternum. The fact the shirt was clearly Zhao's, and how that was making Sokka feel, was at war with the sheer relief he felt at seeing Zuko alive. Obviously not in a good way, but alive. He hadn't realized just how frightened he had been that he wasn't coming back. It was like he had been keeping the immensity of that fear pushed so deep down inside himself, he had only noticed the surface like an iceberg formed of furious emotion. He felt himself gasp a few huge gulps of air as his body caught up with his mind in the sudden maelstrom of feeling. It seemed to take a long time for them to cross the short space to the other cell, as Zuko was moving stiff and slow. Ro, however, looked smugger than he ever had before. It was an ugly expression, given the circumstances. He unlocked the cell, but stopped Zuko entering with a hand on his arm. We'll keep what happened this morning between ourselves and Taiju, yes? He said. Zuko stopped, but he didn't turn to look at him. 
His face was very blank, and it made more feelings surge through Sokka's veins. He didn't think his heart could keep up with all this constant, blasting emotion. It hurt. Ro shook Zuko lightly. Yes? He asked again. The Admiral doesn't need to know, and telling him would be a mistake on your part. He narrowed his eyes threateningly. Zuko turned his head so he could glare at Ro, and the man laughed. Still got some fight in you after all? He said with an unpleasant sneer. Just remember when the Admiral gets bored of you, and he will, I can either protect you, or I can make sure it's open season. It would surprise you how many people lose their morals and scruples when certain opportunities present themselves. He shoved Zuko roughly through the door. Hard enough he stumbled before catching himself with a hand against the bars. Rose smirked at him. You think I'm joking? Just look at Taiju. Usually such an uptight bastard he never even visits whores in port. But the chance to fuck a member of the royal family? Not something folks are going to pass up. It's quite a rush, let me tell you. He smiled, cruel and pleased, as he shut the cell door with a clang. The key turning in the lock felt very final. So think carefully before opening your mouth. Sokka wasn't sure if the shaky feeling of horror that washed over him was due to what Ro was implying had happened this morning, or because of the very bleak future he was painting. Both were equally devastating. Ro gave them a mocking salute as he left, and Sokka blinked black spots away from his vision. He wasn't sure if they were due to the level of his anger or outright panic, and he swayed a little where he stood. It had always been obvious that this would not be a one-time thing, that Zhao was going to keep taking and taking until there was nothing left. But the fact that things might get even worse was somehow still a shock. He wondered how much time they had until Zhao called for Zuko again. He had said a week, but Sokka didn't trust him to keep his word. They might have even less time than that if Ro continued to take liberties behind Zhao's back. If he had gotten away with it once, he would do it again. And Taiju, too, by the sound of it. That was both unexpected and even more deeply horrifying than knowing what Ro had done. Partly because most of the half-formed panicked plans Sokka had been formulating had involved getting the man to talk to them, even if he couldn't take direct action. He might be able to give them the information they so desperately needed. To realize he was as bad as the rest was a devastating blow, and Sokka added his name to his kill list with extreme prejudice. No one on this boat had a fucking soul, let alone a conscience. Sokka remained standing as Zuko made his way to his usual spot and sat, back to the bars, tucking his legs up inside the giant shirt. Sokka stared at him. What was he supposed to say? How was he supposed to offer comfort in this situation? He suddenly had an insight into why Zuko had been so determined to prevent harm to him. Being on this side of things was almost as unbearable as being drowned or burnt. Are you okay? He asked at last, when the silence became too much for him. What a stupid, stupid question. But he wasn't sure what else to say. Zuko shook his head, just a little. Then he turned slightly and stuck a fist through the bars, palm up. His hand was shaking, and his wrist was a mess of bruises and burns. Sokka wobbled over and crouched next to him, reaching out carefully to take the offered hand. He still hadn't opened his fist. It was balled so tight the skin looked practically bloodless. Sokka thought he might not actually be able to release his grip, so as gently as he could, he started pulling back the fingers. They had been clenched so hard his nails had dug savagely into the skin on the base of his palm. Once done, Sokka could see what he had been protecting. 
a golden pen of the Fire Nation flame, the sort of thing someone might use to cinch a cape or a sash. It was perfect. Sokka hated it, the cost of it, even as he felt a dizzy rush of hope. They could get out of the cell. There was a chance they could be free before Rower Xiao came back for them again. He took it quickly. They had little in the way of hiding spots, so he shoved it under the small pile of clean bandages he had piled in the corner. He caught Zuko's wrists as he tried to pull it back. Keep your hand there a moment. We need to treat the burns. He picked up the salve and inspected the damage a little closer. They weren't as deep as the ones on Sokka's arms, although a few had blistered. He tried not to think about how he had come by them. He could almost convince himself it had been during a struggle, a normal fight and nothing else. He would just keep that thought in mind as he spread the salve over the hot, damaged skin. Practical help. That's what he could give. There weren't any words he could think of, or any solace he could offer, but he could treat the injuries, and it looked like there were a fair few of them. He assumed Zuko's other wrist was in the same sort of state as this one. There was also what looked like blood showing a darker, rusty red on the back of his shirt, mostly up by his shoulders. That was probably from the cuts he had taken from Zhao's belt reopening. He hoped that was what it was from, and not something new. Zuko had withdrawn his hand and not offered the other one, and his breathing looked a little erratic, so Sokka was reluctant to press him just yet. The shirt was so big, he could probably pull the neck down low enough to get a look at them without him needing to take it off. It hadn't looked like he was wearing anything under it. I'm just going to look at your back, okay, buddy? We need to patch you up like you did for me. He waited for Zuko's nod before tugging the material down as carefully as he could, not wanting to agitate the wounds. He wished he hadn't. While he was correct in his assessment that some of the injuries from the thrashing had reopened, on his left shoulder there was a bite mark, deep and still sluggishly bleeding. Sokka stared at it, while bile tried to rise in his throat. It burnt hotter than the flames had on his skin. He took a breath. Practical. Just treat it. They didn't have any clean water to wash the wounds, so he was just going to have to use what he had and hope for the best. He wiped away the blood and rubbed some salve over the broken skin as gently as he could with his shaky fingers. Then he turned his attention to the cuts, but he couldn't reach them all the way like this. Sorry, but you're going to have to lift your shirt up so I can get to the base of these. Sokka was proud of how calm he sounded. He didn't feel calm. There was something ugly and destructive curling through his guts. Part grief, part horror, and all fury. Zuko took a few visibly deep breaths and hiked his shirt until it was wedged under his arms. Sokka looked at him blankly for a moment, not sure how this kept getting worse. There were burns on the curves of his skinny hips, deeper than the ones on his wrists. There was no pretending these were anything other than what they were. Marks from where someone had been holding him and heated their hands hot enough to blister. Distantly, and completely inappropriately, the thought swam through his floundering mind that having sex with a firebender must be pretty dangerous. Stupid, disgusting thing to be thinking, given the situation. But he felt he might be a little hysterical, what with the way it kept circling around his head like a drunken vulture eyeing up an appealing carcass. This felt like something had just pummeled his internal organs. It hurt so much. Sokka felt physically sick as he struggled to keep his hands from shaking while he applied the salve. 
He was so angry he didn't think his body could contain it. It differed from the anger he had felt at his own treatments. That had been mixed with fear and pain and desperation. This was purer. The anger for something else. And the feeling of hurt that went with it was a different flavor of rage. In his mind, he lashed out, cursing his father for not coming, Iroh for not looking, Aang and Katara for giving up on him, Zhao, Taiju, Ro, and Shen, and every other person on this fucking boat who knew about this, and about what had happened to Sokka, and who had done nothing. He cussed out Zuko, too, for putting himself in this situation. How could he? Even though they had the pin, it just didn't feel worth it right now. Sokka wasn't worth it. That was the crux of the feeling. He was furious with himself, too. How could he have let this happen? All of it. Going on the mission, getting caught, befriending Zuko, getting tortured and crying like a fucking baby, and then being so weak Zuko had to sacrifice himself to save him. For what? He put down the salve and steadied himself with a hand to the dirty cell floor. He couldn't take it. These feelings? His heart felt like it was going to beat out of his chest. He could feel it pumping all over his body, even in his face and ears. He was distracted briefly as Zuko tugged his shirt down and twisted back slightly to snatch the salve from where Sokka had left it. Sokka didn't object. As long as someone was treating whatever hurts he had to the front of his body, then he was okay. Honestly, he was glad not to be the one to do it. He had seen enough. He shuffled round until they were back to back, the way they usually slept, and rested his head against the bars. He closed his eyes but a few hot tears slipped out despite his efforts to hold them back. It just felt like this was the last straw after everything they had suffered. He just couldn't take any more. He started violently as Zuko laughed, a cracked and hollow sound that had no humor in it. You know what the worst thing is? He said, his voice nothing but a dry rasp. Even if we had broken out of our cells, we would never have made it. The doors bolted from the outside. Sokka could actually feel the blood leaving his face. The few times they had been taken out to other parts of the ship, they had been together, and the main door had been left open. No point in bolting a door when there were no prisoners. The whole thing was pointless. What are we going to do? He asked, his voice wavering a little on the words. Leave. We're leaving tonight. If the door's bolted, how will we get out? Sokka hoped his plan didn't involve attacking the guards or something equally reckless. All the determination and desperation in the world was unlikely to help them against armed soldiers. Taiju will leave it open for us. We're leaving four hours after they bring us food. We need to count time. The feeling of relief that swept through Sokka at the possibility they might actually make it out was so huge it made him wretch again. Taiju? he asked when he had himself under control. Yeah, Zuko said. He shuffled around a bit and passed a pouch through the bars. He gave me this, too. Sokka took it. Zuko must have been hiding it somewhere in the shirt, perhaps tucked under his other arm, as it was warm from the heat of his body. Inside, there were a few silver pieces and some coppers. Not much, but it was something. But more than the purse was the knowledge someone might actually be on their side— Whatever Ro had thought had gone down with Taiju seemed to have been something else entirely, and Sokka was unbearably grateful for that. It made the world a bit less dark to know that there was at least one person on the ship that wasn't willing to just look the other way. 
So he's going to unlock the door? Sokka asked, just in case he had misunderstood. Yeah, we have to time it right, between shifts. We have about fifteen minutes to get out and on deck. Can we trust him? Sokka may be grateful, but he wasn't stupid. People offering to do nice things didn't necessarily mean they were good people. Does it matter? No, I guess not. And then, when we get on deck? Over the side. Despite himself, Sokka rolled his eyes. Yeah, I guess that part. Where are we? And how far do we need to swim, Zuko? Zuko puffed out a breath that turned into a dry cough. We'll be between one and two miles from shore. We won't get any closer. Sokka thought two months ago he could have made it without much problem if the sea was calm. He was fit and an excellent swimmer. But now? He wasn't sure at all. He was even less sure about Zuko. He was strong and had more stubborn in him than perhaps anyone Sokka had ever met. But he was exhausted, beaten down and injured. Can you make that? He asked reluctantly. Yes. Like he would have answered any other way. Are you certain? Zuko turned to look at him for the first time. His gaze was furious and determined. His lip was split, and his neck and jaw were covered in red marks that would no doubt turn to angry bruises in a few hours. I will make it. I'm not dying on this boat. He is not killing me. It's not going to happen. He took a few angry breaths, making his nostrils flare. If I die in the ocean, fine, so be it. At least the bastard will be left wondering if we made it or not or if I'm going to reappear and expose his lies. Sokka felt another burst of relief with those words. If anyone can do this with the power of stubborn and spite alone, it was Zuko. Zhao and Ro may have hurt him, but he was still fighting, still as furious and resolute as ever. Sokka needed that. He was teetering on the edge of complete despair. He needed someone to help drag him out of it. If Zuko wasn't giving up, neither was Sokka. It made him twice as determined to save Zuko, too. And if that meant they had to take on the sea in open warfare, then that's what they would do. And Sokka would also rather they drown than stay on this boat a moment longer. So they would just have to hope for the best. Zuko turned around to lean back against the bars. It made Sokka feel alone, and after the brief surge of hope he could feel, the grief and the fear overwhelming him again. Zuko? What? Give me your hand. Sokka asked, although it sounded a bit more like a demand than a question. Zuko hesitated for a moment, then held his hand out to the side. He seemed a little perplexed as to what Sokka might want with it. Sokka reached through the bars to take it in his own, linking their fingers together and holding it. Not too tight, just in case there were unseen injuries there, too. What are you doing? Zuko sounded confused, but not overly upset or annoyed. Holding your hand. Sokka told him. Why? Sokka wasn't sure how to answer that. I don't know how else to offer comfort. Because I'm scared, he said at last. It was true, after all. Oh. Zuko seemed to think about that a little more. Does it help? A little. Okay. That was the thing about Zuko. When you explained something in a way that made sense to him, sometimes he would just accept it. If it didn't make sense, or he thought you were wrong, he would argue and fight until he was blue in the face. But Sokka was realizing, sometimes, if you got the words right, or framed things just so, he would at least take it in and think about it. It gave him some hope for the future. 
the unthinkable future of what would happen after they were off the boat. Don't tell anyone I asked to hold your hand, though, when we're out, he said in an effort to lighten the mood a little. I won't, I promise, Zuko said solemnly. Sokka's heart lifted a little. Of course he took it seriously, like the idiot he was. As if Sokka would actually be worried about that right now, when they had much more pressing concerns than his manly pride being a little bruised by seeking comfort. Pinky swear? He said. I don't know what that means. Is that some sort of water tribe oath? Sokka smiled, a little surprised as he felt his lips curl. He linked their pinky fingers and shook Zuko's hand gently. No, it's an oath between kids, but still binding. He remembered he and Katara doing it often, and they never broke their word to each other. Never told their dad who had flinched the last of the winter berries. Never told who it was who had accidentally, on purpose, chucked some of Healer Panuk's herbal concoctions on the fire and stunk out the entire village for a day. Come to think of it, both those times it had been Katara's fault. But he had never told, even though he was mad she got him in trouble. Spirits he missed her. You just link fingers and swear, he told Zuko, still thinking of Katara. I swear, then, Zuko said, dead serious. Sokka? Yeah? Please don't tell anyone, okay? Don't tell anyone what happened. Please? Zuko's voice warbled for a moment, and Sokka could feel him take a few shaky breaths against his back. Sokka shut his eyes tight and took a few deep breaths of his own. I swear, Zuko, I won't tell. Thank you. Sokka linked their hands back up. Zuko's palm was hot against his own. It was a little awkward back to back. His arm ached from the angle, but he preferred he was the one to stretch as Zuko was hurt and the warm touch was worth it. Try to get some sleep, at least until they bring our food, he said. Okay. Zuko fell silent, and Sokka leaned his head back against the bars, and thought about the future, now that there was a possibility they had one. It was true, the saying that sometimes the little hope was more painful than having none at all. If they got off this boat, he would have to find his father, warn him he was free, just in case he was actually going to try to rescue him. Then he would find Aang and Katara and try to help them win the war. When that was done, he was going to hunt down every fucker on this boat, and he was going to kill them. Not just kill. Sokka was going to make them suffer, like they had made him and Zuko suffer. He was going to learn the sword, because it felt fitting to take them down with their own weapons. But even if he had to use his hands, he was going to end them. He pulled his knees up to his chest and put his forehead against them. He didn't think he was going to be able to sleep, but he tried to relax, keeping his breathing even and slow, and focusing on the warm touch of their hands. He tightened his grip a little when Zuko started to cry, quiet and muffled. Taiju sat at his small desk and stared at the two rolls of parchment. He was really going to do this. He wasn't sure which letter would be harder to write. One would be to his wife, to say goodbye, and to warn her of the ramifications of his actions. How did he explain that he might have put his whole family at risk for an enemy and a traitor? However right those actions might be morally, the thought of the impact on his children, the risk to his wife, made him feel sick. He would suggest the possibility of them running. They would probably have a few days' head start to get out of the city, and it was unlikely many resources would be spent on finding them. 
but that option was risky. The injury to Jiang's lungs was such that it would make it hard for her to travel fast or far. Would they be able to find the medicine she needed? Would they be able to afford it? Without the money and support he received from his patron, they would have been left to die long ago. He couldn't help but feel he was condemning her and the twins to suffer for his crimes, for his conscience. But was this the right thing to do? It was an impossible choice. And yet, here he was. The other letter was just as hard. How did he even start to explain his actions, admit his treachery, and in the next breath beg for clemency for his family? He was going against the Fire Lord's orders. That would sign his death warrant for sure. But he was going to have to use his commander's hate for Zhao, as well as the gamble that this is what she would want, given the current situation, as leverage to protect his family. It was the only hope he had. The decision was made, however, and there was no going back. He had left it far too late, and he wondered if that would count against him. It had taken the incident this morning to finally push him into action, and he felt shame for that. It had started on the deck when the admiral called him over. He recalled it with a sick sort of clarity. Lieutenant Taiju, a word? Zhao looked tired, but in high spirits. It made something squirm in Taiju's stomach. Sir? The outlook is good, the admiral said, stroking a hand over his sideburns. I know where the water tribe ships were only days ago. We're catching up. Will we attack them? Taiju asked. Perhaps. But rather, I hope we can set a trap to force Hakuda to give himself up, or at least get them to fight where we want them. Somewhere where we can box them in. Their little ships are fast. We need to remove the advantage. Without it, they're just small boats made of tinder. You'll use the boy to draw him out? Yes. Hakoda hasn't responded yet, although I know he has received my missives, so I may have to up the stakes a little, perhaps send him a finger or two. Taiju felt ill. I heard from Ro, he said cautiously, that you had granted the boy a week before he comes to harm. It was unclear if that was something Ro should have shared with him, but the admiral didn't seem to mind. In fact, he smirked, staring out at the restless sea. You should always be careful of the details when you strike a deal, lieutenant. I said I wouldn't hurt the boy. I said nothing about anyone else hurting him. It's sturdy, I admit. But needs must. The man had no honor at all. He was nothing but scum. Taiju would expect that sort of trickery from a deceitful Earth Kingdom general. Not one of his own. He didn't trust himself to speak, so he remained quiet. Zhao seemed to take his silence as respectful rather than hateful, and he curled his lips into a small smile. Speaking of needs must, I have a job for you. I know it's beneath you, but as one of my most trusted men, I have to take the help where I can get it. Yes, sir. What do you need? He was fairly sure he didn't want to know. It's a matter that requires some circumspection. Serve me well in the coming weeks, and you are looking at a promotion. You understand? You can count on my discretion, sir. Good. I want you to go to my cabin and turn down the bed. Get rid of the evidence, he meant. Taiju felt nauseous. He'd been hoping, if he didn't see, he could pretend it hadn't happened. He knew it had, though. Ro had been practically high off his excitement about what the Admiral had spent last night doing. There would not be any pretending. No escaping from the results of his indecision and inaction. Yes, sir. Good. I know it's unworthy of a lieutenant, but it will be worth the indignity. 
After we kill or capture Hakoda, we can set our sights on the Avatar again, this time with no interference. And we will still have the boy. He has proved a very useful acquisition. One worm for two hooks. He sounded very pleased. Then the failure at the North Pole will be nothing but an unpleasant memory. He raised his face to the sun's early morning rays and smiled, like he already had the glory in his hands. Taiju bowed and left, his gut a squirming mix of disgust and guilt. That had been the first thing, the admiral planning to break his word. The second had come when Taiju had reached Zhao's quarters to find the door locked. It shouldn't have been. Ro had come down half an hour ago to take Zuko back to his cell before the hustle and bustle of the day started. He tried to open it again, rattled the handle. One moment. Ro. He was still there. Taiju's heart dropped into his stomach. Lieutenant, open the door. After a few moments, Ro had. He looked a little flushed and was doing up his belt. It did not take a genius to reach certain conclusions about the situation. Taiju wasn't sure how he felt about this development, other than furiously, impotently angry and horrified. It was a stark reminder of just how much of a coward he had been, that he had stood by and done nothing, and that he would do so again. Taiju. Ro gestured for him to come inside. Taiju tried to keep his face calm. He had long practice, but his stomach was churning. It took him a moment to spot Zuko, naked and sitting half under the table with his bare knees drawn up to his chest. Ro was a smart man. It must have been clear Taiju knew what he had done, instead of returning the boy to his cell as he had been ordered. Taiju fought with everything he had to keep his face impassive, and just looked at Ro. But there must have been some judgment in his expression. How about we keep this between ourselves? Ro offered. Taiju just raised an eyebrow, not trusting his voice. Ro straightened his tunic. He seemed a little nervous, unsure of which way this would go for him. If Zhao found out, he would be demoted at best. I'll tell you what, the Admiral will be on deck for a while yet. I'll give you twenty minutes before I come to take him back, yeah? He said hopefully. Taiju felt a little distant from his body. Twenty minutes. He could do something in that time. Anything to make this better. One thing about people like Ro was they had only a vague concept that others were not all like them under the surface. Most weren't, at least. Although Taiju was starting to have doubts, every man on this boat had agreed to look the other way about the prince still living, and none of them cared about the water tribe boy. This, though? There were some that this would upset, but because it was distasteful, rather than because it was downright evil. He suspected, if Zuko had been female, their opinion might be different, and that thought was disgusting in of itself. Taiju felt dizzy with anger. These were his people. They were supposed to be better than this. There was a reason female soldiers no longer fought at the front. It was because of the things the Earth Kingdom soldiers did to them if they captured them. And here were Fire Nation soldiers, doing the same despicable thing to one of their own, and a child no less. He was too young to even be married without his parents' consent. Taiju thought he was going to throw up. He had seen a lot during his many years of service, but he didn't think he had let himself realize the sort of things his own people were getting away with doing. It was always something the enemy did. He believed in his nation, in her people. He did. But what else had he not let himself see? Okay, he said, voice tight. Twenty minutes and we won't mention it again. Good man. Ro relaxed and laughed, giving him a slap on the back as he passed. Everyone has a price, eh? 
Those rich pigs live in the life. They don't know what it's like for us on the front. A chance for a little payback goes a long way. That it does. The sound of the door closing behind him was as loud as a gong. Tydru didn't know where to start. He didn't know what he was planning to do at all, only that he had to do something. First things first, make sure there were no interruptions, then clean up, and then... And then he would decide what to do next. With a half-formed goal in mind, he felt himself start moving. He dragged a chair from the table to wedge the door. Then he fetched the bowl of washing water from beside the bed and put it on the table. He found Zuko's clothes on the floor at the foot of the bed. They looked like they had been burnt, probably to stop him redressing when the admiral left. But there was enough cloth left he could use them as rags to wash the boy down. He tore the shirt into rough strips and dropped them into the water before stepping around the table. Zuko? The kid was conscious, his unburnt eye glittering slightly in the low light as he tracked Taiju moving around the room. But he gave no sign of acknowledgement, and although his fists were clenched tight enough that he was visibly shaking, he had not tried to escape. Taiju crouched down a safe distance away. I'm not going to harm you. I'm going to get you cleaned up. Understand? Zuko just stared at him with the same unblinking expression. He was just going to have to get things done, whether or not the boy was responsive. Taiju reached up to take a skinny arm, pulling him until he was on his feet. Up you get, kiddo, he said, and then had a sudden blast of twisting guilt. That was what he would have called one of his own children. Zuko was barely six months older than his twins. The thought made him nauseous again. He got him up and leaning against the table. One of his fists was still clenched where it rested on the wood, and Taiju realized he probably had something in his hand. He had found an item to pick the lock with. Impressive, considering he had probably been left alone only between the time Zhao had left and Ro had come down. Taiju took a rag out of the water bowl. It was cool, almost soothing in his hands, as his whole body felt hot with emotion. I'm going to clean you up a bit, he said. Zuko didn't acknowledge him, but he didn't move away either. Taiju made quick work of washing him, keeping the touch of the cloth as brisk and impersonal as he could. He wished he could feel as detached. Once done, the next task was to get him into clothing of some sort. He was too small to fit any of the admiral's things, and besides, Taiju didn't know what Zhao would think of him dressing Zuko in something decent. After digging through a few of the chests, he opted for an old undershirt. It was big enough to cover the boy's slight form, and long enough to hide his hands. That might help to conceal whatever he was holding when Ro came to take him back. It was at this point Taiju had realized he was not going to tell Zhao about the escape attempt. And if he wasn't going to tell, and he didn't want them to fail, he was going to have to take some more direct action. He gently pushed Zuko into a chair and stuck the shirt over his head, reaching into the sleeves to pull his arms through like he was a small child. Then he used the last of the clean strips of cloth to wipe the traces of tears, blood, and snot off of his face. He didn't offer any words of comfort. What could he say? I'm sorry, wasn't really going to cut it. Zuko was still watching him intently, with a sharp-edged, strangely blank expression. Taiju thought he might be in shock. That was going to make this next part hard. I need you to listen to me. Can you understand what I'm saying? No response, not even a blink. I know you're planning to escape. That got a reaction. All of Zuko's muscles tense and his gaze shut up to meet Taiju's eyes. The energy in the room changed so suddenly it made the hair stand up on Taiju's arms, and he quickly raised both hands to try and head off a potential attack. I'm not going to stop you. 
I'm going to help you, he said. The words had been a final confirmation to himself of what he was about to do. He had been half of the mind to just kill him. If he did that, Taiju would be demoted, sure. But if he said he had been attacked and it was the only option, then he wouldn't be a traitor. His family would escape his shame and the risks it carried. But if he killed Zuko to put him out of his misery, it would be letting Zhao off the hook for this. There would be no justice. He realized he very much wanted justice. He didn't want this to happen again to the next poor soul Zhao decided to destroy, most likely the Water Tribe boy. No, this was the only way. Why? Zuko rasped out. His voice sounded shattered. That's my business, Taiju told him. Zuko just looked at him, still tense and half ready to leap out of his chair and try to kill him. If Zhao had thought this would break him, he was sorely mistaken. The kid still had fight in him. What happened here? What happened to the Water Tribe boy? It's wrong. Taiju added, by way of an explanation. He didn't think he could verbalize it any more than that, with his own fear pumping through him. Zuko nodded. I'm going to leave the outer door open for you after shift change. You will only have one chance. Zuko, do you understand? Zuko's jaw firmed a little, his bruised face making an obstinate little pout. I do. They were running out of time. He quickly went over the details, the timing, where they were, which direction he should head in, how long it might take. Zuko nodded stiffly, a look of fierce concentration on his face. Then, Taiju handed over his purse. There wasn't much in it, but there was probably enough to buy clothes and some food, and it wasn't like Taiju was going to need it after tonight. Zuko tucked it inside his shirt. Thank you, Zuko said. It's not a debt I can repay. Taiju sighed. The boy really was a lot like his mother. There is no debt between us. Any decent person would do the same. I should have acted earlier. Zuko looked a little thoughtful, the expression strange on his battered face. One last thing, Taiju said. If he was going to commit treason, he may as well go all in. We are less than three days from where the Water Tribe fleet was last spotted. As far as I know, they are continuing to head east along the coast. All reports state that they have been keeping to the shallows for some reason. If the Water Tribe boy wants to find his father, keep heading east. Understand? Zuko's mouth tightened a bit, like he wasn't sure that was information he wanted. Or perhaps it was still the reminder that Sokka had somewhere to go and he didn't. Still, that wasn't Taiju's problem. All he had to do was get the kids off the boat. I understand, Zuko said. Okay, I have to clean up. You sit there until Ro comes back. Zuko shuddered with his whole body and looked at the table. Taiju swallowed down a further rush of guilt and set about doing the task Zhao had instructed him to do. Taiju leaned back in his chair, staring at the stark metal of the ceiling. He wondered if it would be better if he were to fall on his sword after he released the birds carrying his letters. Would his death at his own hand be better for his family in the long run? If he was dead, perhaps they wouldn't be punished for his treason. He had to write the damn letters first. He dipped his brush in the ink. I am writing this to inform you of the true events of the past month, and to ask for your forgiveness for my transgressions. That should cover the ones where he had done nothing, and the ones where he had committed actual treason. He had never considered himself a wordsmith of any sort, but the life of his children could depend on this. I humbly beg that despite the crimes I have committed, for the sake of the work myself and my wife have done for you and your mother, please have mercy on my family. I have accepted my fate, 
but I must trust in your honor and understanding on this matter. They have done nothing but serve you, and will continue to do so until their last breaths. This I am certain of. The information I am offering may in turn provide you the opportunity to bring Admiral Zhao to heel, to either end his days in disgrace, or to control him as you wish. Because blackmail was definitely an option here, and might prove very beneficial for certain parties. While Zhao's ambition could prove a threat to some political factions, having an admiral under your thumb was potentially very useful indeed. Taiju paused and redipped the brush. He wished he knew which way she would take it. Would he be condemned for failing to stop what had happened to Zuko, or that he had aided in his escape? He supposed it didn't really matter. The results would be the same. As you know, having received your father's decree, Admiral Zhao declared he had executed your brother as per the Fire Lord's orders. I can tell you that this was a lie. No going back. Determined, Taiju put his brush back to the paper, and explained in detail everything he had heard and seen. He left nothing out. Sokka woke with a start as the key turned in the lock. Behind him, he could feel Zuko tense so hard he was practically vibrating. They were both terrified and on edge as the guards stepped into the room. He had a little fruit along with his usual hardtack, which he dumped on the floor when he refilled their water. There was none of the mockery or sneering that usually accompanied their food, and the guard was steadfastly avoiding looking at Zuko. He clearly had some idea of what had happened and was uncomfortable with it. Perhaps not every soldier was quite as evil as Rose seemed to think they were. A slightly reassuring thought, although whatever his feelings on what had happened were, the guard still hadn't had the guts to do anything about it. As Sokka crawled forward to grab the food through the bars, he couldn't help pleading with the universe to give them luck, just enough to ensure Taiju went through with freeing them. He would take his chances in the ocean. It was the human part he was worried about. What if he got cold feet? Four hours. Zuko said, voice low. Sokka handed him half the fruit, but he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to choke his own food down. He was so anxious. How are we going to keep time? Count. For four hours? Zuko scoffed. Do you have anything better to do? No, fair point. You start. I'm going to pack. Pack? Zuko asked incredulously. Yep, we have stuff. Not a lot of stuff, but some. Zuko shrugged and started to count his voice low and scratchy. Sokka carefully put the salve and one roll of bandages into the purse Taiju had given them. Then he added the rock of victory, ramming it down to the bottom so it didn't fall out. He eyed the other roll of bandages that wasn't going to fit, but he might have another use for them. His pants were loose, made for an adult man who hadn't been mostly starved for a month. If he went into the ocean, it would take a hot second for those to be swept off him. Taking the purse with them, he took the pants off, ignoring Zuko's curious stare, and used the end of the pin to tear small holes in the waistband, weaving the strip of bandage in and out until he had something like a belt. He put them back on and added the purse to one end before he tied it tightly. They would not be coming off in a hurry. He realized he probably should have peed first, but he supposed it wouldn't matter once they were in the water. Zuko was still counting quietly. He raised his eyebrows as Sokka showed off his efforts, but didn't comment. Probably for the best. They would probably end up losing track of time if they didn't focus. I'll take over for fifteen, Sokka offered, and at Zuko's nod, he began his count. Three hours, twenty-five minutes, and they were out of here. Additional warnings. 
Off-screen, Zuko Zhao and Zuko Ro. Injuries include burns, bruises, and a bite mark.